get started this morning here in Exodus. I want to say thank you to Julie for making sure that the shoebox stuff uh, is coming together. It is something that we really value, being able to to reach kids and families really uh, around the world. Um, And so, but that takes some organizing. And uh, sometimes we're probably like herding cats around here, but uh, thanks, Julie, for your leadership in that. I appreciate that. I also want to thank you for uh, received many encouraging notes and well wishes from you guys uh, for through uh, October, Pastor Appreciation Month, and just want you to know that we feel just very, very blessed and appreciated by you guys. Thank you so much, and thank you for your prayers while we've uh, been out for a couple weeks there. Uh, for the most part, we've all recovered. Katie's having a few... Um, issues related to um, ongoing um, blood disorder with Herb, and uh, so we're trying to get that under control. Appreciate your prayers for her. So, well, we're going to open back up into Exodus. Uh, by the way, I'm thankful too for, for Matt and Randy um, bringing the Word of God uh, to you guys, and appreciative that you also get to hear um, some different perspectives on God's Word there, and just different styles of presenting God's Word, and God is we're, we're very thankful here, blessed that um, God has given uh, within the body of Christ here just many gifts, and um, we've just uh, been so blessed by that so many times, and so I appreciate there, uh, when, when this whole um, COVID stuff started coming around, we kind of had a little uh, meeting there, and it was like, all right, can you guys be on call, because, you know, we don't know what tomorrow holds here, so... Um, and they just, they just said, yeah, we'll be on call. So, and they've been on call for how long now? Uh, pushing two years now, I guess. So appreciate you guys uh, being willing to do that. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 25 here this morning. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 23. Um, if you remember back a couple of weeks, we, we were looking at uh, the first part of chapter 25 there that covers the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, went into some details about the design of that and the significance and symbolism within the design of the Ark of the Covenant. As we get into the, the design plans here for the, for the table and the lampstand, uh, we're not going to go into too much of the, um, uh, of the design specifics, uh, maybe more so with the lampstand than the table. Um, but what I, what I want you to see, is, and, and we really looked at this, we've talked about this, we've gone through Exodus, really focused in on this, especially with the Ark of the Covenant and the design of that, that, that all of these things that we're encountering here and the things that, that the Israelites were going through and that Moses was called to lead them through, and that, that they were all pointing forward to Christ. And so if we, it, one, one really helpful thing that I'm finding just uh, more and more as, as I study God's Word, and I didn't realize this for a lot of years, I, I would notice that one trend in Scripture is that um, wherever I would go in Scripture, eventually I ended up at Jesus. And, and so I'll just give you a study tip right now, Okay. If you keep in mind that wherever you're reading and studying in Scripture, you will eventually, it will eventually lead you to Jesus, you, you will already be on the right track 
um, for, for comprehending and understanding the Scripture. Now, there's going to be some work involved in, in that understanding and comprehension, and, and sometimes more work in some passages than others at seeing how that leads you to Jesus. Uh, but, but I will assure you that wherever you start in Scripture, that if you follow, um, follow God's Word, you will see that it, it leads you to the foot of the cross. And um, that's no different here in our text this morning in chapter 25, verses 23 through 40. And um, these may be passages that you've read multiple times before and you read about the, the design plans for the table and you went, okay. Or the lampstand and you're like, all right. So God had him build a fancy lampstand. All right. Um, and you weren't sure what to make of it. Well, my hope is here that you can begin to see how even these details that seem like maybe to us they seem a little bit insignificant uh, about the design of certain things within the tabernacle, um, that even those details were elements that pointed forward to Christ. And a lot of these things can only really be understood as we get to in one of the things that I love about Hebrews and that we've gone to several times throughout our um, study in Exodus is that Hebrews takes all of these things that we're now looking at here in Exodus and, and sets them into the context of Christ. And all of a sudden, in hindsight then, having the knowledge uh, that Christ has come, um, we, we can see a lot of these things now in their true light that they were things pointing forward to what God was going to do, and now that God has done it, now we can gain an understanding of some of these things in hindsight that would have been very difficult for, for many of the people here. Though they, uh, Hebrews also tells us that, that those folks in the Old Testament, they looked forward by faith, knowing that God was, gonna, was going to uh, bring them into eternal life, but, but there was still... Uh, a, a cloudiness with, with how he was going to accomplish that or who he was going to use. But now it's become clear to us because we have the revelation of not just the Old Testament, but also the New, and that Christ has come. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, 25, verse 23, and uh, I'd like to just ask the Lord to direct our steps here. Lord, as we turn open your word this morning and we, we just ask that you would um, be our interpreter, that you would lead us into truth this morning through your word, uh, Lord, that you, would, uh, that you would teach me what to say, and uh, Lord, that I would represent you faithfully, represent your word faithfully, and that you would find our hearts, our minds, our souls, a fertile place for the seed of your word to be sown. And um, Lord, we ask that you would show yourself uh, to us through the scriptures this morning, and that our, our our faith and our understanding, our knowledge of you would be deepened and strengthened here together by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's look at verse 23. We're going to look first at the design for the, the, the golden table here. Um, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length. Remember, we're talking uh, with the table and the lampstand. These are elements that are going to be 
designed and placed into the tabernacle, which is the place where the, the priests uh, are going to represent uh, here Moses, in this case, and Aaron. And there's going to be, um, uh, God is going to set up a structure here where there will be uh, priests who represent, sort of the, become the, the mediators uh, between God and man. And um, we know in the end, it is Christ who is now our mediator, our one and only mediator um, to the Father. But in, the, in these days, so there's this construction of the tabernacle that's going to happen. This is the design that we're looking at here now as God's laying it out. And um, right now, here we're at the, the table here. So, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. So this is in likeness to the Ark of the Covenant in that um, the table would be moved by inserting poles that were overlaid with gold through the rings that he says should be mounted to the table. And then by those poles, the table would be moved. One difference is that in the Ark of the Covenant, the poles were not to be removed, uh, whereas it seems like the table, um, uh, the, the poles could be removed. So um, then verse, uh, verse 27, close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these, and you shall make um, its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour out uh, pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. And so when we ask here, what is the purpose of this table? Um, it, it was, it's not like, um, it's not like the, the table you have sitting next to your couch. Um, it's, not, it's not like the, the little table you have sitting next to your bed that just like collects all kinds of things. It's not, it's not just a table to set stuff. Uh, this is a table with a purpose. The, the table here actually finds its glory in, the, in its purpose. And the purpose is, this is where the bread of the presence was to be set. The bread of the presence, Leviticus goes into some description of this. There were actually two, two stacks of six loaves. If you do the math there, that's 12 loaves. 12 representing the, the, the whole of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and so we have the bread of the presence, the 12 loaves, set on the, the table and then th- these would be replaced uh, weekly with, with fresh loaves. And, um, and there's significance in that, in that number 12. Um, the significance here is, is there, we're going to look at the, the meaning and purpose here of uh, not so much the table as the bread of the presence. Because the, the table finds its, its purpose in what is placed upon it. And what is placed upon it is the bread of the presence. So what is the bread of the presence? Well, there's, there's a couple of things here, and there, there, I'm sure the Lord has more purposes than I'm going to address here in the bread of the presence. Um, but there are two things that I, that I want to bring to your attention about the bread of the presence. First of all, 
it's an offering. It's an offering of thanksgiving. It's a recognition of God's provision. Um, if up to this point in Exodus, what have we seen Yahweh do for His people? Well, He rescued them, right? He rescued them out of Egypt. And then He's protected them uh, from the oncoming army of the Egyptians. Um, he's brought them safely through uh, the Red Sea uh, as on dry land. And then, he, and then as He brought them into the desert, there was a, a problem there that they faced in, in that there wasn't much food and there wasn't much water. And there were a lot of people that were hungry and thirsty. And what did God do? He provided for His people. Um, they needed direction and God provided direction through a pillar of light and a pillar of cloud. And, and God has been continually making His presence known to His people. Remember, God provided food that just kind of comes out of the sky and shows up each morning for them to collect. The people are well aware that they are completely reliant upon Yahweh for even their daily needs, their daily bread. And so, the bread of the presence is an acknowledgement of God's faithful provision for them day by day, their reliance upon Him. The bread of the presence is also, um, and, and so it's, the, the bread of the presence then becomes uh, an act of, of worship in acknowledging who God is to them, that He is first and foremost in their lives. And, and this is what worship is. When we worship God, we are acknowledging and celebrating that He is first and foremost in our lives. That we are dependent upon Him. And the placing of this bread was an, an offering and an act of worship uh, a, a, an acknowledgement that He is the first and foremost thing in their lives. The second, second thing I want to bring to your attention in the purpose of the bread of the presence is that it is a reminder um, tied to uh, what I just told you, but a reminder that it is Yahweh who provides. It is Yahweh who, even now in this part of Exodus, is daily providing for their physical needs. It is Yahweh who they will look to to continue to provide for their needs, for their daily bread. Um, remember the, the manna that God has been providing for the people uh, in the desert? A daily reminder that they are reliant upon God for even their daily bread. And um, through, through this reminder is, is also the acknowledgement that God is continually present with His people. And this, this is also a, a, a reminder that comes with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it is that reminder that God is powerfully present with His people. And He has displayed this up to this point in Exodus over and over and over and over again. And it's being punctuated now by the, by the design of, of the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle it is punctuating that God is ever-present with His people and present in power. And the, the, uh, the fact that there are 12 loaves that are to be set before Him, it, it emphasizes that God is powerfully present for all of His people. You know what I find um, fascinating is 
is as we, as we look at these things, then we look into the New Testament and, and Jesus, um, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among man. Uh, and we see Jesus teach and reveal Himself. Um, these, these Old Testament things, the, the, the sacrificial system and the construction of the tabernacle, all of a sudden we begin to see, wow, he, he, Jesus said that he is, he, he's the fulfillment of these things. But I'm sure the disciples and the folks who were listening to him were like, hey, what does that mean? And they weren't, it was probably hard to stitch together some of these pieces. But now with the benefit of hindsight, knowing Christ has come and having now the benefit of, of reading through the Gospels and seeing the words that we have recorded of Christ and the way He taught and the things He said and then the rest of the New Testament Scriptures that help us take what Jesus said and what He did and put it in the context of the whole of Scripture and our, and our very lives uh, that we have this benefit now of looking with in, into the Scriptures with, by, the, by the direction of the Holy Spirit with some incredible insight and understanding. And, and here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. And, you know, I just, I just wonder how many folks as Jesus would speak and teach that there would be these little light bulbs that would go on and, and maybe they didn't quite make sense of it yet, but it was like, that's different than what I've ever heard. Or that was said in a way that I've never heard it before. We know that that happened because the Scriptures tell us that, that when Jesus taught and spoke that, that people were kind of wowed by that because He taught with one as author, who had authority. Meaning, in other words, it's like have the difference between um, me reading uh, Moby Dick and Herman Melville reading you Moby Dick. Right? There's a, there's a difference there. Having the author uh, read and explain or having a third party read and explain are two different things. And when Jesus spoke His words, it came with power. Matthew chapter 6, the disciples, um, uh, they were interested in, uh, in knowing how to pray. Jesus taught here in Matthew chapter 6 about prayer. And He said, the first thing is, um, first thing is, is, is prayer is to be between you and the Father. It's not for you and others to see you. So prayer is not about you displaying for others something great. Prayer is about you humbly coming before your Father. So don't make a show of it. Second thing is, we need to remember that when we pray to the Father, it's not our words that get us noticed. The big words you use, how many words you use, um, that, that, the repetitions, that, that's not what the Father notices. He already knows what we need before we even approach Him. And then He says, so when, you, when we pray, then He gives an, an example of pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus teaches His disciples how to pray here. And, and we're not going to break this down entirely here, but one thing I want to draw into, it, into focus here is what He says in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. 
he tells the disciples that they are to pray that God would supply their daily needs. And this does two things. One, it, it, primarily, it, if it reminds us as we ask God to provide that He is the one who provides. Now, God's given us the ability to, to work, to, to think, to do whatever. God's given us abilities, uh, each of us, to, to work hard, to provide for ourselves and our families. Um, but where, who is it that ultimately is the provider? Because, you know, if, if uh, uh, I mean, I did carpentry for many years, and God gave me the ability to do that, but guess what? My, my body can break down like that, and, and, and then I, I wouldn't be able to do carpentry. I'm, I was reliant every day. I mean, I went to work, and, but I was reliant every day for God to maintain that ability for me to go to work and do, the, do my job, just as I am today, um, and just as you are. That ultimately, when it boils down to it, um, we're to be faithful to do what we can do, but it is God who provides our daily bread. And so Jesus encourages his disciples here to pray, to ask for God to provide their daily bread. All right, so this is, uh, um, we, we see the, the bread of the presence there in, in, the, in the tabernacle. It is a reminder that God is presently present in power with his people, that God provides for his people. And, and then Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 teaches that, hey, you're to be praying that God would continue to provide for you your daily bread. And then we go on to John chapter 6. And uh, this is where, um, you know, nothing surprising here in Matthew chapter 6 really um, that Jesus would teach that you should be relying on God for your daily bread. But what happens in John's gospel in chapter 6 just pops the top off of this thing and it's like something new is afoot here. John chapter 6, verse 1, what we see is, is Jesus is out teaching. There's, he's gathered quite a, a following. 5,000 men plus uh, women and children. Um, and, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And it's been a long, hard day. Um, everyone's exhausted. Everyone's hungry. They're a long way from home. Jesus turns to, to Philip and says, Hey, uh, what's your plan for feeding these people? And he goes, Jesus, uh, uh, we can't afford this. I mean, even if there were a place to buy bread right now, we couldn't afford it. There's, there's no way. It's not going to happen. And Andrew, who is, uh, you just got to appreciate Andrew's perspective on things. I mean, there's a bit of realist in him here, but there's also an acknowledgement that if anybody knows what to do, Jesus is going to know what to do. And Andrew says, well, uh, we don't have much, but we have five loaves and two fish. Uh, it won't go very far, but we do have that at least. That's a starting point, right? And, um, and you know the rest of the story. So Jesus takes those five loaves and two fish. He, he blesses it. And then it gets distributed among all the men and their families. And everyone eats all that they want. And, and then they go around and collect what's left over, the bread. Um, it says specifically, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what, how the fish would be, a leftover fish. But, but the, the, it, it mentions that they collected the leftover bread. 
and they had 12 baskets full. Well, the number sounds familiar, doesn't it? Number 12, representing the entirety of God's people. And 12 baskets full after the leftovers of five loaves and two fish. What did God do? God provided for his people. And who was it that provided? It was Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, something new is happening in the world. Well, you continue on, and something even more extraordinary happens as Jesus is explaining some of these things or bringing to light these truths that are being kind of nodded at here as he, as he bring, makes enough bread to go around. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I am the bread of life. Well, let's back up just a little bit so we have a little more context for understanding that. Look at verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus is uh, uh, sort of um, taking their understanding of the manna God provided from heaven, and now he says, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now Jesus is opening a door there for the revelation of not just the meaning of the manna, but now the revelation of Jesus Christ himself being the true bread from heaven. He says, for the bread of God is what? That stuff that we picked up every morning and ate or our forefathers picked up every morning and ate. What does he say? For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So what is it that really matters and what is it that God is really providing? The, the bread represented uh, there on the table, the bread of the presence, the reminder that God provides for daily needs pointed forward to God providing in a much greater way for His people. Was it bread that they really needed? I mean, there was a physical need for bread, so that is true. There was a physical need for physical, tangible food to eat. But what is the greater need of humanity? Is it, is it at the next meal? Is that the greatest need of humanity is the next meal? No. It is that we have a spiritual hunger that will never be satisfied by anything that this world offers to us. And there is only one who can offer us a satisfying meal, if you will, for that spiritual hunger within us, which is to shake free from the weight of our sin and guilt and to be reunited with our Creator. And that spiritual hunger within us can only be satisfied by one type of bread, and it is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall never thirst. And so we have really three purposes here that I want to mention to the bread of the presence. One, it's an offering. Two, it's a reminder. Um, And three, it's Jesus who is the true bread of life. It points forward to who it is that we really need. Not more bread, but more Jesus. Let's keep going here in Exodus chapter 25. Verse 31. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Now try, try as, uh, if you can to follow along here with the design of it because it does, it does become uh, pretty significant here. Um, and there are certainly some things to be noticed. And there shall be six branches. Um, oh, it's, see, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Um, and there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it and three branches of the lampstand out the other side of it. So we have one main stem and then out both sides there are to be three uh, branches coming out. Okay. Now, uh, just a couple of notes is uh, that when... Uh, Six is often a number that we see associated with, with mankind and earth. Um, it it kind of is a reminder that uh, there's a sort of incompleteness about us. Um, something that is less than God, but perhaps in likeness to it. Uh, in, in likeness to Him. We've been created in God's likeness, but we are not Him. And um, in, there are six branches coming out here off the main stem. If you do the math, what does that add up to? Wow, come on, guys. Come on. Homeschooled or public school, this shouldn't matter. Six plus one, where are we at? Seven, right? Seven. So that seven, we often see associated with God Himself, right? The number of completeness, uh, perfectness. And so we have the one stem and the six branches coming out of that stem. Okay, so keep track of that. Uh, and there shall be six branches going out of, one, uh, uh, going out of its sides, three branches uh, off one side, three branches off the other side. 33, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work, of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold, and see that you make them 
after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. What is the purpose of the lampstand? Well, there's a very tangible, practical purpose, right? Um, They didn't have electricity back then. Uh, There weren't like battery-charged lights or something like that that they could bring into the tabernacle. So there's a very practical purpose in that the lampstand was to provide light. In fact, if you look at verse 37, it says, And the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. The purpose of the lampstand was to give light. But there's something even more at work here. One, in its design. All right? So we have the one main stem with the six branches coming out of that main stem. Uh, and what is that a picture of? It is a picture of there is Yahweh who Himself is I am who I am. Right? And then there is mankind who is desperately reliant upon Him and every good thing comes from Him. So, in fact, God says throughout Exodus here, there have been a few mentions now where God says something to the effect of, if you will trust Me and obey Me, I will bless you and protect you. So as they stay connected to Yahweh, they will find blessing, fruitfulness, protection, provision. And so we have a picture of something that comes to light in the New Testament when Jesus speaks in John chapter 15. This, this will sound familiar to you. John chapter 15. We're going to actually look at, uh, I'm going to back up and start in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Even the design of the lampstands points forward to this incredible truth, and that is that our way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here in in John chapter 15, he says, those those of you who, who, uh, God wants us to be fruitful, but we cannot be fruitful if we're disconnected from the vine. And who is the vine? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. If we're going to bear any fruit, it's because we abide in the vine. And so we have, have that reminder of how important it is to walk with Jesus. Second thing is this. So one is... Uh, one. One important meaning of the lampstand is that He is the vine. Uh, Yahweh is, is the stem that gives life to His people. And the second thing is this in Exodus, that He is the light that reveals truth and guides His people. Uh, we've already actually seen that in Exodus chapter 13 when God provides a pillar of fire to lead His people. 
And so this more, more uh, see, greater than their need to just be able to see while they're working in the tabernacle is their need to see the things that they spiritually can't see. That God would give light to truth. That God would give light to where the stumbling blocks lie, where the pits lie uh, of sin. That God would illuminate their path that they're to walk in. It is God who gives this kind of light. What does Psalm 119.105 say? Some of you may have this memorized. right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word illuminates our path that we would be not only see the way in which to walk in the path of His blessing and in fruitfulness, but also that we would see where, where the, the, the dangers lie. Light illuminates those dark corners. And God's light shows us the way. So for His people here in Exodus, He is the vine. He is the light. He's the source of life. He's the source of truth for his people. Now I want to look at, in John's Gospel, how does John open his Gospel? You know, when you read through John's Gospel, it's almost like he knew the book of Exodus. John opens his Gospel. Look at verse 9, chapter 1. He mentions right before this that there was a man who came to testify about the light, but he wasn't the light. Reference to John the baptizer. Then verse 9, he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John opens his gospel by saying the coming of Christ was the coming of God's light into the world. Look at Matthew chapter 4. It's interesting. Jesus stands up early on and says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, as his, his uh, ministry of teaching and preaching was just getting started here. Verse 12, it says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, John the baptizer, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. What is it that is fulfilled? The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Who is this light that has dawned? It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Savior of all. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is the light of the world. In fact, in John chapter 8, he says as much. John chapter 8, verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
we, the physical light that we need, uh, flashlights, headlamps, electricity, that physical light should always be a reminder to us that we need something greater than just physical light. We, we need something greater than something to illuminate uh, this room, to, to illuminate what's in my bag or behind, underneath my car seat, right? We, we need the light of God to illuminate the path of His blessing, the, the, the path of walking with Him, the path of eternal life, to illuminate for us where the dangers lie so that we don't stumble over them. And this is what He does for us. In fact, there is this call that Jesus issues in John chapter 12, verse 36 and 46. He says, um, in verse 36, He says this, While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now this, this is not some uh, kind of wishy-washy like, just believe, man. Just believe. This is Jesus saying, while you have the light, me, here, Jesus Christ, standing before you, the Son of God, word become flesh, while the light is with you, believe in the light. And then in verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus is saying, you don't want to walk in darkness anymore. You don't want to walk in spiritual darkness, in confusion, in frustration, in fear, in anxiety. Then believe in the light. And so we have these four meanings, I believe, contained within the lampstand. One is, in the context of Exodus, Yahweh is the vine. Yahweh is their light. But in the greater context of Scripture, what do we see revealed to us in the New Testament? In the coming of Christ, it is that Jesus is the vine and Jesus is the light. I want to leave you with this this morning. If you find your soul hungry for more than this world can give, uh, it's because this bread is no better than the wonder bread you buy off the shelf. The bread this world offers you is no more filling than that. It is, uh, as I heard one man say about uh, a bag of chips these days, he said it's, it's full of lies. It's like, you know, you have this many chips and the rest of it's all lies. There's nothing there but air. That's the promises of this world. The bread of this world will never satisfy. And if your soul hungers for more than this world can give, Jesus is the bread you're looking for. He is the bread of life. And if you find yourself confused, you find, your, find that you've lost your way, you find that you carry with you an anxiety, a fear, a frustration, a confusion in this world, um, Jesus is the light that you're looking for. And He says, believe in Him while the light is here. There's a day coming where... Um, these hearts stop beating and, um, and this shell goes into the ground. And what happens after that, Scriptures reveal to us, is that we go before judgment. 
the next thing that happens is we're going to receive the judgment of God. And Romans is clear that every single one of us has fallen short of God's glory. We have sinned. We have made a mess of what God has given us. We have offended Him and we deserve His judgment and that's what we're going to receive unless we have a Savior who has taken that judgment for us, which is what Christ did on the cross. Christ took the full wrath of God on the cross, the full wrath of God against every one of our sins, so that we would have forgiveness of sin, so that we would be able to be brought into the family of God as His child, so that we would have the hope of eternal life. And God is making His appeal to you today to repent from your sin and to place your faith in Christ and to begin to walk with Him. He is the bread of life. He is the light of life. Father, we thank You for giving us this bread and this light. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sin, God, we did not deserve such an incredible gift from you. We're not even worthy of it, and yet you love us so much that you desired to save us. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for your spirit. We thank you today. And for those, Lord, who are seeking a bread that satisfies, who are seeking a light that illuminates their way, Lord, I I just ask that you would make clear that there is no bread like Christ. There is no light like Christ. And there is only one, Jesus Christ, who saves. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. Lord, Help us to walk with you faithfully and to be examples of of faith in you and this hope of everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we remember the sacrifice of Christ, we also do so by receiving communion together. And every one of you who believes that Jesus Christ gave his life for you, that He is the bread of life, that He is your bread of life, that He is your only way of forgiveness and eternal life, and you cling tightly to that, we invite you to join with us as we remember the cost of that eternal life, the cost of that forgiveness as Christ went to the cross on our behalf. And so as we receive the bread and the juice this morning, it is that reminder that Jesus gave Himself for us. One who knew no sin gave Himself for us who were sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. A moment. One thing is, it seems true through history is that uh, uh, the nation that, that we have, that God has blessed us with, I'm not going to make an argument that it's perfect, um, but I will make the argument that God has blessed this nation and that God has used the people of this nation 
to accomplish his 